Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Shellfish are a huge part of Pacific Northwest cuisine, especially around the holidays, and we're right at the start of the harvesting season. Personally, I love shellfish, and this year I actually went and got myself a license so that I could legally go clamming and crabbing, but I have no idea where to start. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Leif Gildersleeve, who is the owner of the Flying Fish Company. He's also a second-generation fishmonger and an expert in all things shellfish. He's walking us through the hows and wares so we can all get the freshest oysters, clams, and crabs in town this season, even if you don't want to slip on those jelly boots and do the harvesting yourself. It's Thursday, December 14th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. I'm really excited to go harvesting. I don't know, muscling, clamming, crabbing, but I don't have a boat. Like all I have is I, I bought a new uh, oyster shucker, like a new knife. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I think I just, I, I jumped a few steps. You know what I mean? So like, where should I start? <laughs> well, the first step is to start what you just did is like, I want to do this. I, I have an engagement with you know, getting closer to my food source. And that's amazing. Uh, you know, I guess we're lucky enough here that we live on the West Coast uh, that we're next to the ocean. And so we have the ability to go out and harvest some clams and mussels and oysters and enjoy that time on the ocean and get to taste the saltiness of the sea. So the intention is number one. It's there for sure. Yeah, it's there. But where do I go? Like, where do I start? I know it's like different places for if, you know, if I want to go crabbing, if I want to go, uh, you know, oystering, I'm just making that up. I don't know if oystering is a word. Uh, muscling. I love it. Yeah. Okay, thank muscling. You. Yeah. Let's just use all those words because they're just fun. Um, I love it. Uh, so, you know, here in Portland, we're about an hour and a half from the coast. The closest areas where we can go and play and harvest and forage things from the ocean, I would say would be Garibaldi. You can rake for clams. Uh, there's different types of clams that you can harvest and you've got to go at low tide. So you can do that in Garibaldi. You can also drive from Tillamook when you drive west from here, just a little bit further west over the next little hill, you can go over to uh, Neetarts Bay. And that's another wonderful, beautiful bay that's all protected. There's no boat docks on it. It's just pure ocean that floods and drains twice a day with the tide. And so it's really clean, crisp, briny. There's also uh, clam digging that you can do there for a couple different types of clams. I've seen that. I interrupted you just because I remember, I think Neetarts Bay is really special because even if you're like, don't want to do all this clamming or whatever, it's really cool to see how, how it like drains and it just looks like a mud flat almost. Uh, and then you see everyone out there with their long boots and their buckets and stuff. It's pretty cool. 
if I were to do that, do I have to like pay someone? Is it, do I just go out there? Like just the bucket that no one owns that? Like, well, how does that work? No. So that's public land. Yep. So Nitar's Bay is, is just public land. Uh, so there is, you would have to just check in with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, ODFW, um, the, uh, their website. There's also a shellfish hotline uh, that you can call that would give you up to date information as far as any closures that may be happening. You'll have to stay up to date and make sure that you check the shellfish regulations to make sure that that is open at the time so that you don't get an upset stomach or somebody else. Yeah. So Garibaldi, Neatarts Bay for clamming. Yes. And for that kind of activity, I'm guessing some like boots and like a bucket and a shovel. That's right. Yeah. So there's different types of clamming that you can do. Uh, so those kind of clam, that, that kind of clamming on both Tillamook, on Garibaldi and in Neatarts Bay is going to be a shovel bucket, that sort of thing. Some, some muck boots, some rain boot kind of thing, and then go at the super low tide. So you only have a short window after low tide that you can stay out there because you get out on these flats and then all of a sudden the tide's coming back in and you're like, oh, I can stay a little longer, stay a little longer. But then you're wading back in like chest deep water. Um, look for the little dimples in the sand. Uh, so clams are bivalves. So they have one inlet coming in that they suck the water in and then they push it out the other one. And so you'll see these little softer kind of dimples in the sand or mud um, where that's where there's a clam down there. Once you start digging for that clam, he goes, I'm getting the hell out of here. And he digs deeper. So you got to be pretty quick on that action of getting down to where the clam is and then literally stick your hand in the hole and, uh, you know, up to your armpit and, and feel around for that hard shell. You can also use a rake and then the teeth, um, the forks of the, of the rake will rake it out of the mud. Uh, so that's another way to get like a cockle is another type of clam. And then uh, lastly, you can go up further the coast near Astoria and go to Fort Stevens State Park. And there's razor clams out there as well. Ooh, okay. That's a different type. So that will require what's called a negative tide. So that's when the tides are even lower than normal. So it's like once a month or every other month that you'll get a negative tide that's in the daytime and you can go out there and on the razor clams, you typically have like this PVC tube that you push down around that dimple. I've seen those. That's how they get gooey ducks too sometimes. Indeed. Yeah. So I went to school in Olympia, Washington, and as a poor college student, that's how I would make some extra money is I would wake up at like four or five in the morning and me and just a b- gajillion other evergreen college students would go out there and get gooey ducks. And that's also our mascot. And I just remember just, uh. them, <laughs> you know, they look so weird, you know. Oh, they are. I've yet to try one, which is so weird. Oh, no way. Yeah. I harvested. I, I did the whole thing. It's such backbreaking work. It is. Like if you're doing it for money, yeah. Like for fun, oh, I got one, I'm good, you know? But if you got to do more than one, yeah. can you make those, those PVC pipes? Like how do you get that going? You can. Um, you can make them. Really, it's just a PVC pipe that has a handle in it. It's got a little uh, hole that when you push it down, the air goes out of the hole because you're pushing the sand basically down the inside of the pipe. And then you cover the hole with your thumb and then you pull up on the handles and that makes the suction, makes that sand stay inside that tube. And then you lift your finger off the hole again and it dumps the sand next to the hole that you just um, dug. So sometimes you'll get the clam actually in the tube, but then sometimes that's just to remove that sand out of the hole and then reach your hand in there. But those gooey ducks and the uh, razor clams, they move quickly. So I went out there this year, I was doing one of my field trips, doing some sturgeon fishing over in Astoria. So I went on a negative tide out to Fort Stevens and 
and uh, went razor clam and there's a bunch of people out there doing it. And so there was there people are pretty helpful and um, trying to help you um, do it. So you can kind of talk to the other people that are out there doing it. That's good to know. I remember that gooey ducks would spit. I don't know if like the of the razor clams also do that or this is just dimples. No, that's just gooey ducks that do that. Okay. <laughs> It's really easy. It's like, you see where the water's shooting out of the hole? That's the gooey duck. And you're like, oh, I'll go get that. What about crabs? I know we get Dungeness. It's harvesting season right now, right? Or or is it coming? So rec- recreationally um, harvested crabs are a little bit different than commercially harvested crabs. It is open more than it is commercially. So overall, it's open from about um, December all the way through until um, like November. And then it closes down for a little bit. I remember last year I did some crabbing trips with one of my fishing guides out of Astoria uh, right before Thanksgiving, and and there was a ton of crabs in the bay. It was amazing. So to answer your question, you can go out most of the year recreationally crabbing. Oh, wow. Okay. So there is smaller bays on the Oregon coast where you can crab, and and they're awesome. They're super fun. So Neetarts Bay is one of those bays that you can crab. There's some little RV parks and stuff where you can rent a little dinghy boat. Cool. They'll bring it down to the boat ramp for you, and they have the traps that you rent along with the um, the bait that you put in the traps, and you go out there on your own and drive the little motorboat out there and, and drop the crab traps, and it's just a wonderful day on the bay. If you go a little bit north from there, you come around the corner past Knee Tarts, um, and you go up into Nehalem Bay, there is Kelly's. Kelly's is a little marine on the left as you're driving north on the Highway 101. There's multiple stops up there where you can rent boats. But that next bay is uh, Nehalem Bay. And that's another one where you go out there in the little stainless steel boat and with your, you know, four people in the boat and uh, have an awesome day on the bay pulling up uh, crabs. And, uh, you know, you you can only keep the male crabs. uh, And there's you, you know, again, there's lots of information online. And ODFW, of course, has this information as well. But you only keep the male crabs. So you flip them over and look at the bottom and there's a little bit, there's this little flap on the bottom that's a little bit more round for the female crabs. And those ones you throw back. And then the male crabs have a little bit longer, more narrow flap. But you can only keep the males that are a certain size. So there's a little tool that you use that you put it on the back, like in between the shoulder blades. Um, and, and as long as the the carapace is what it's called, is, is wide enough, then you can keep that crab. I just wanted to say that it's Kelly's Brighton... Bay. Yes. And just a shout out to Kelly's Brighton Bay, because the cool thing about Kelly's Brighton Bay, I don't know if this is the same with knee tarts, the crabbing operation they have, but like, let's say you're just like, JK, I don't want to go on a boat. It's too cold. They have crabs that you can buy right there and they'll make them for you. Yes. <laughs> and so you'll, yeah. you'll, you're still just like, I'm out here eating crab. We're all having a good time. I remember just doing that uh, one winter and it was super fun. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, so those are two examples of, of different places where you can go. But the ticket for this stuff that we're talking about is it's super amateur, super beginner. You know, anybody can go out and do it. Now, there's, you know, other levels of crabbing where you can go out the jetty, where the jetty is where those oh, those bays dump into the ocean. And now you're out in the open ocean. Don't go there as a beginner. 
that's that's your danger land and that's where you would need an experienced crabber to go out and, and help you with that situation but you can get bigger better more crabs going out in the ocean and doing it so that's where you would use a resource um, in garibaldi there's garibaldi charters there's right on the corner before you take a left to go into the marina there up in astoria my friend uh, captain bob reese r-e-e-s um he is oh a, so you're saying like if you want to charter a boat to go into the actual ocean yeah or have have the captain bring you out there and have an experience totally we can link to that stuff i'm thinking more just like all right it's just me i got a honda fit <laughs> you know like i also heard that you can like dump uh these uh crab cages out from out on like a docks and stuff like that and i'm just like that sounds cool but i don't know where yeah is that is that a thing you're absolutely right we were just talking about crab pots. So that's one where the crabs, they've got a little gate and the crabs can go inside and then they're stuck and they can't get out. You can also use these crab traps that are like um, round or square that the sides flap down and you tie your bait to the center of it. And then you wait for a couple of minutes and then you pull it up quickly and the sides come up and it kind of traps them on the way up. Uh, but you got to be effective at, at pulling them up because you're literally like pulling up a crab that's just eating the stuff in the middle. Oh, so it's not really like in, in there? It's not an enclosed cage that they go inside. Um, so that's the second one. The third one, um, you can there's these fishing poles that have a smaller little open trap kind of a thing, kind of like the second one that I just mentioned, where you can literally tie your, you know, some people use like chicken drumsticks and they tie them to the center of this crab <laughs> trap and then they toss them out with a fishing pole. Again, they open up when they hit the bottom, you let them sit for five minutes and then you quickly reel it in and it, um, the sides cinch up and then you can you can catch crabs pretty effectively from that and like a good month like now yeah this is a this is a great time because you can do it on these inner bays and stuff there's there's multiple times that are that are that are great through the year cool um, so so it's not not as much like oysters where oysters are the best right now like in the colder months and in the summertime they're actually not as good. People love oysters in the summer when it's all warm weather and they think that's the time of year to eat oysters, but it's actually not. They're kind of gross in the summer. Yeah, in my opinion as well, but some people love them like that. I don't want to say it. They're a little jizzy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're, let's, let's say they're sweet and uh, yeah, and creamy. They're just kind of gross. Milky may be another word for it. Uh, okay. <laughs> well... <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more on crabbing and clamming with Leif Gildersleeve. So I live in St. John's and, and I go to Slim's a lot because it's right here. And one of the bartenders there, she's just this known, like, we, we all know that she loves to go crabbing and stuff. And she swears by rotten chicken. Mm-hmm. Can you just like shout out some good like bait if you're going to go crabbing? Because she's like rotten chicken. You just said drumsticks. I'm hearing chicken's good then. Yeah. I mean, they say that it is, um, you know, I mean, crabs are used to eating things in the ocean. Like they're just little, you know, bottom feeders that are eating all the carcasses and things that die and get eaten by other things. And so, I mean, and I own a fish market and a fish restaurant, so I would use fish bones more than anything. But you know what uh, it sounds like actually is the best thing for the commercial guys. One thing they use a lot are these clams that they harvest um, from the Tillamook Bay. 
clam meat that they put in the uh, in the little crab traps, but then also the tuna carcasses, the albacore tuna carcasses that are caught from July to September here on the West Coast. Um, those are really effective because oh. they're really smelly. You know, tuna, the oil, really oily, really smelly, and uh, and that works really well for crabbing as well. But recreationally, a lot of people use chicken, but the commercial guys, they're not using chicken. Ah, that's good to know. <laughs> See, this yes. is why you're here, Leaf. That's right. So what you want to do, though, uh, as far as timing on the crabs is whatever form of crabbing that you're going to do, whatever kind of um, trap that you're going to use, the the four that we mentioned, you want to um, do that on the incoming tide. So when the tide's all the way out and there's like not much water left in the bay, uh, like in Neetarth Bay, for example, that's when you'll start. That's when you want to throw the crab pots in and then you let them soak. You let them sit there for that whole incoming tide. That's basically when the new food is coming in from the ocean. The crabs are sitting there like ah. it's it's mealtime. It's like the dogs are getting fed. So that's when they're the most active is on the incoming tide all the way up to what's called slack tide when it pauses in between incoming and outgoing. Um, so you want to fish on the incoming tide. Nice. Thank you. That's a really good point. Okay, now I want to move over to oysterin. Uh, so what what do you guys actually call it? <laughs> That's not yeah. oysterin. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, you call it whatever you want because there's actually not that much oysterin on the West Coast. Most land in Oregon uh, along the ocean is state land. It's public land, not private land. So most oysters come from these farms that lease a plot of land from the state and then they go and get the little seed, little baby oysters from the hatcheries. And then they put the little baby oysters out in their specific plot. So in Oregon, there's not many places where you can just go and harvest oysters. Like in the wild, right? That's what in you're the saying. wild. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. There's not much wild harvest of oysters. Now, with that being said, if you wanted to go up to like Olympia, Washington, and Shelton, and up in Hood Canal, um, you know, all of that land is it's kind of like a lake. You know, it's protected. It's not the open ocean that it is here in the Oregon coast. So what you can do is uh, all that land is private land, and and there's lots of wild. Oil oysters there because they grow a lot of oysters. So there's lots of oysters that have, you know, just are growing wherever and they spawn and then the little larvae go swimming along and then they they plant somewhere. So there's oysters all over the seashores. But most of those that you find there are not the Olympia oysters, actually. The Olympia oysters... Ooh, what do you call them? They're technically called a Pacific oyster, but they originally came over from Japan. They brought ah. them over from Japan. Uh, so that's the majority of the oyster that you eat at an oyster bar at a restaurant at a fish market are going to be uh, the Pacific oyster, but they're actually not our natives. Uh, and like what you mentioned, the Olympia oyster, which is smaller, it's only like a 50 cent piece. Um, yeah. That's the only native oyster on the West Coast of the Pacific here. That's awesome. So most local oysters are farmed. And, uh, and I think a lot of people have like this negative view on farmed versus wild, but like you kind of explain why. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the difference with farmed oysters versus farmed salmon is that farmed oysters, you don't have to feed. They're still on the ocean filtering salt water, just like the clams and the mussels and any other, and a wild uh, oyster. They're, they're filter feeders. They just eat the phytoplankton, the algae that's in the water, but it's still the same food and same flavor as something that's growing next to it that is quote unquote wild. So how can I get that into my mouth? Like what is <laughs> What's, do I just have to buy them? Is that what you're saying? You're just like, you can't go out and harvest them. Or do I rent like, <laughs> they just give me one hour. It's like a soup, like a, I don't know if you've seen those like supermarket sweeps where they're just like, here's your bucket. You get one hour. <laughs> you know, you're just like, ah, you know? Yes. So no, you're saying like in Oregon, you just got to buy them. 
In Oregon, you pretty much just have to buy them. Yeah, there's not not many. Like if you go strolling the beaches and everything and, and there's just not oysters just laying around because there's not as many oysters in the wild here as there is like in Puget Sound where it's more protected. Because here the ocean, the waves that are crashing everything, that's just not your area that where oysters like to grow. Mm-hmm. They grow on inside of more of the protected areas, the estuaries and the bays. Cool. Well, so here's a wild possibly interview ending question. Now that we've gone through all this, is it really worth it to harvest your own shellfish? <laughs> like, like after all the equipment investment, after renting the boat, am I saving any money trapping my own crabs or forging my own clams? It seems like I'm buying my oysters in Oregon, but like, why not just buy everything from the store? What, what would you say to that? Most of the time, it's not financially viable to actually like win in the financial equation as far as going to get your own shit. But- I will say that the value that you create internally with your own body and the energy that of the connection of your food is invaluable. So when when I bring my kids out there to the bay and we're digging and, and experiencing these things, and sometimes it's not even the clams that they're important about or you know care about in that, but it's the value of that this is where food comes from and you can do things with this food and it's amazing. So that to me is really where the value comes in. I think we need more of that in this world. Definitely. Just a question about like if I wanted to buy oysters, you know? Yes. What are some spots you would recommend? Uh, Obviously flying fish. Thank you. Are there any other places that you think like out by the, like if you just wanted to go out to the coast and like get a bucket of of oysters and hang out, uh, are there any places around there that you think do a good job of making it accessible? Yeah, definitely. Um, So Newport, there's Local Ocean Seafoods is awesome. Uh, Local Ocean Seafoods is a little restaurant and fish market kind of a thing. Um, You know, working your way further up the coast. um, In Neatarts Bay, there's several oysters, about a half dozen or so oyster farmers that lease that land from the state and grow them. There's only a few places where you can actually buy those oysters in Neatarts or in Tillamook. I know that Jay Andy uh, is uh, opened up a little, I think it's like an oyster bar also where you can buy the oysters and take home yourself. So that's an awesome spot. And then working your way further north, Garibaldi, there is a little fish market called The Spot in Garibaldi that my friend Kelly owns. Um, and you can buy buy some, you know, shellfish or, or um, fin fish from him. But, you know, as, as, as you know, there's not that many fish markets or even fish restaurants, not only here in Portland, but on the Oregon coast where you would expect there to be more. Isn't that crazy? It's weird. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of customers that'll just buy stuff from Flying Fish and then take it to the coast with them. <laughs> which they is know, so Which is weird, but hey, I'm, I'm open to that. It's okay. It's supporting us. So. Okay. Well, this is more of a rapid fire, you know, question. I'm just curious about your personal taste. Like what's your favorite oyster? Gosh, I personally like a smaller oyster. So I, I love Neatart's oysters because they're really briny. Uh, so they've got a lot of brine, a lot of liquor. Um, it's like going diving into the ocean and you get lots of salt water. Uh, some people like a sweeter oyster. So something like a Kushi coming from British Columbia or a Kumamoto is, is going to be a sweeter, more buttery flavor, not creamy, but just sweeter. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. That's my guy. Kumamoto, that's my guy right there. Yeah. Yeah, Kumamotos are awesome. Um, Tide Points from Willapa Bay are amazing. Shigoku's. If you had to choose one, you, you got to sh- choose one. Oh, my God. It's so hard. I mean, I would say the easiest oyster, because I'm kind of a, I've got kind of texture issues, so I'm really careful about which oysters. I, I, I don't like too many bites of mouthfuls of oyster, personally. So I would say... 
Kumamoto. Okay. They're, they're Yay, just amazing. They're a little guess. harder to come by. They're really expensive, but um, but they are pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. If uh, What about raw grilled? I like both. Okay. You're not going to just, you're just like, look, I can't decide. I like, because you just, no. I asked just because you're just like, I don't want too much of one bite, you know, in, in once. So I was like, oh, maybe you, you know, you're more of a grilled guy, you know? Yeah. It's like when somebody asked me what my favorite fish is, it's such a hard question for a second generation fishmonger. It's like, I, I like quite a few different ones. <laughs> yeah, totally. This is why I'm asking you these questions. Leaf. This is, this is the tension that we're building, you know? Um <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, King or Dungeness? Wow, you, these are tough questions. You're I good. know, I know. I mean, I do like Dungeness because it's just more available. Um, King Crab is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. King Crab is just incredible. It's such a potent flavor and it's intense. Uh, but I do love Dungeness and I'm from the Northwest, so I would say foot Dungeness. I, I'm not, last question, and I, I feel like I'm like rehashing some 90s beef, but... West Coast, East Coast, if you had to choose for oysters, and we already decided, like, we already kind of know that West Coast, you know, a lot of the a lot of our oysters are, are from Japan. We don't really have a native oyster. But if you had to choose West Coast, East Coast, which oysters would you go with? I'll still go West Coast. <gasps> oh, is it because you live here and you don't want to get kicked out? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> I actually, I, I've done some different events for flying fish at different places. And I did an event a couple of years ago down at Rogue in Northwest. And and I did a competition, East Coast versus West Coast. So I had the Virginicas from the East Coast, which is a different species of oyster, and our Pacific oyster here. And East Coast won. People love East Coast oysters. They're they're pretty phenomenal. They're flavorful and a little bit bigger. They're so clean. They are pretty clean. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's like a cleanness to them where I'm like, what's going on? To me, it's like a lack of brininess almost where I'm just like, why is this sweet? Why does this taste like it came from a river? Like, I don't understand this. Yeah. I love I love them both. I'm not going to. But whenever I'm on the East Coast, I'm pretty stoked. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. We don't want to kick you out of the West Coast here either. So you better not stick your neck out too far. <laughs> hey, man, I love a Kumabo. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Leaf. I appreciate your time, taking time out of your day. Thank you. Appreciate having me. Before we jump into some events happening this weekend, I wanted to share a note from a listener who has some really great advice if you're looking to head up to the mountain and, like me, don't like driving in the snow. Nathan wrote in, as someone who loves winter sports but hates driving in snow and ice, I just wanted to share the Mount Hood Express with you. This is a shuttle running at regular intervals from Sandy to Skeeble, the Summit Ski Area, and Timberline, including late night runs on weekends. I haven't done the cosmic tubing, but presumably this would work. If you can get to Sandy and have $2, you can make it up to Mount Hood without ever having to drive in the snow. Note, arrive in Sandy early on busy days. Thanks so much, Nathan. We've done a whole episode on Carla's trips out of town, so we've mentioned Mount Hood Express in the past, but it's a great reminder that this service is available. It's so cool. And here's some stuff happening this weekend a little closer in. This Saturday, the Portland Winter Ice Rink and Woodsy Winter Village downtown is opening to the public. That's located at the west end of the Morrison Bridgehead on the waterfront. That's going to be so cute. And if you're still looking for the perfect gift for your favorite goth cousin or teen, five bucks can get you into the Portland Market of the Beast. This traveling dark art market for the weird, wild, and occult is setting up shop at the Red on Southeast Salmon this Sunday from 1 to 6 p.m. I'm pretty sure you can buy a gremlin there. There's also the free, less witchy shopping pop-ups like the Kearns Neighborhood Holiday Market this Saturday 
from noon to six, and the Procrastinators holiday shopping market at the Left Annex happening on Sunday, also from noon to six. For even more local events and news, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.